A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 199 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast, the legend, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. They can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Facebook page and Twitter at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the infinite amount of rocket fuel in Chopper's belly, the EU guru himself, the count of these two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey, everybody! Holy crap, I think we just finally figured out the reason for my irritable bowel syndrome. It's all that rocket fuel, man, burning a whole oh ride through you. Oh, that's okay. Uh, well, we are back with more feedback, and boy, there's a lot. So, Mark? Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time. Are we ever going to see more legends? Or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. Does Leia got a thing for Bale? You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we continue to address your Force Awakens questions and ponders. Once more, you are the star. And again, we still have a Sith ton of emails, so... This may turn into three episodes after all. So, with that said, consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. We're really going to have to clarify that when he says a thing for Bale, he means like a fascination with them and doing the statues. He doesn't mean she maybe has a thing for her adoptive father. That'd be a little weird. Yeah. That's... Although, wouldn't it be? No, nope, nope. I'm not even going to go there. I've been watching way too much Prison Break. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, get all Luke. <laughs> Luke's like, Bahal said incest is best. Put your sister to the test, pretty. Exactly. I was like, why do you think, pretty? I was going to end it with pretty, so you knew exactly where I was going with that. Okay. Uh, we have an email coming in here from Hans Skullborstad, who says, this is back in January. Happy New Year to both of you. I felt compelled to write to thank you, Nathan. My two friends and I survived and completed your major monster story group canon marathon. I had planned to watch episodes one through six before The Force Awakens. We finished episodes four, five, and six the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before the premiere. Watching The Clone Wars in such a compacted time frame made it much more enjoyable. The connections you make over a season in a few days is more rewarding as opposed to three or four months. Before I was a Star Wars fan, I was a comic guy, specifically Thor. Being of Norwegian descent, I was kind of born into it. Marvel movies of today is what I've been waiting for since the late 80s. I had planned a major viewing of the roughly dozen MCU, that is Marvel Cinematic Universe, flicks prior to Captain America's Civil War. Mark knows where I'm going. Then I remembered a couple of Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. shows bookended the second Captain America movie. I went online to refresh my memory of where they were. To my surprise, I found a couple of timelines. They were not golden, nor were they of Star Wars. They were all of MCU movies and TV. Jackpot. My vision had expanded due to you, Nathan. Roughly 100 hours of visual comics leading up to the first installment of the MCU, Phase 3. 
I've included an Excel spreadsheet for the viewing order. If you or any fellow Beyonders are interested, we can uh, post that or make it available through the Facebook page. I believe it's pretty close to accurate, if not 100%. Without the introduction of the Story Group Canon Marathon, he's talking about when I watched Clone Wars and Rebels and both live-action film trilogies all in chronological order leading up to watching The Force Awakens, this would not have entered my thought process. So, Mr. Butler, I thank you. Keep up the entertaining Star Wars discussions, and a healthy year to your better halves. Hans Skalberstad. P.S. Nathan, you always pronounce my last name right. It is phonetical. Yes, I've been pronouncing it correctly. Woo! See, I would have butchered it. You know me, Hans. I'm going to screw it up. <laughs> There's not enough Swiss in me to get my tongue right. Ah, uh, you know, Story Group Marathon, you guys are crazy, b- <laughs> but I need to do this. I really, really need to do this. I keep talking about it, and I think I'm going to force Riley into doing it for the Patreon and, and do it in chronological order so I can just every week just do it, but... Yeah, that's a lot, uh, a lot going on with that. And, and I admit, I think Nate, what you started that in October? Like, <laughs> oh God, I don't even remember. It, it took months though. I mean, it was a long process and it required a lot of consulting the uh, episode guide for the Clone Wars to figure out which episodes were in what order and then jumping back and forth from disc to disc, season to season. Yeah. And Hans, you know, yeah, we, uh, we talk a lot on Twitter and stuff and, uh, yeah, you know, we're big fans of Marvel. Uh, and let me just say no spoilers, but hot damn that civil war watched it last night. Woo. Oh man. I said, Oh, oh boop, oh boop. And hot damn. Uh, those were my quotes. Uh, and that was an O S and O F and a hot damn. Yeah. Cause whoa. And, and in fact, the, the OS is actually quoting a character. And when you see that character, uh, you know, go ahead and tweet me a high five because, uh, I was high fiving you at that moment. Going, yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, the Marvel films and stuff, they give me such hope for everything, uh, going forward and stuff. You know, I'm just like, you know, we got, we've got so much, but then you stop and you think about how long this marathon went for Nathan. And you're just like, wow, we've got a new Star Wars film coming out from here on out. Like in 10 years, that marathon, you got to start it a year in advance, man. Miss not even the films that do it though it's the tv series that are the killers i mean the clone wars took a long time and and i got to the part where it was like my brain was in a slog those first couple of seasons because they're just not as good as the later seasons were um i do think that the marathons do have merit i don't know that i'll do that star wars marathon ever again but it was worthwhile to me to do it that time because i really wanted to kind of get that feel and that build up and that hype I've tried to do that before certain Marvel movies with the different Marvel films. Think about it is I, when I tried it the last time, there was only one season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now we have multiple seasons of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Plus we got two seasons of Daredevil. Plus we've got Jessica Jones, all the movies, and we've got two seasons of Agent Carter. And I don't know what order I'd want to watch them in. Would I watch them in air order? Would I watch them in chronological order? Because if it's chronological, I don't know how I get through it because I'd have to watch Agent Carter first. And Agent Carter damn near puts me to sleep every single time. Oh, yes. I think they, they, the characters of Jarvis and Agent Carter are well done. And the crazy, like, uh, uh, Black Widowish lady is very well done. But there's just something about Agent Carter that feels like it doesn't matter at all, and they're j- it's a slog to get through. So I don't know. I don't know if I would ever do a full Marvel marathon ever again, except for the films. I can do the films. Yeah. Not so much trying to work the TV shows in uh, because I'd have to work in Agent Carter. And talk about a, a, a an ever-expanding, fast-expanding universe. I mean we're talking something that's growing – seemingly uh, faster than what we got with Clone Wars 
because Clone Wars, at least, yeah, you get 22 episodes or 20 episodes per season, but it's only half hour episodes. These are hour length episodes. So it's essentially double the amount of viewing time as trying to watch a season of Clone Wars. Woo. That would be rough. <laughs> Adds up fast. You're like, come on, man. Why? Our next one comes in from Ed Ashton, who says, hey, guys, love the show. Keep up the good work. I have a hypothetical question for you, but it may not be because it can't be proven wrong yet. Here it is. Let's say the whole Star Wars thing is true. The Force, Jedi, awesome spaceships, intergalactic governmental bodies, etc. And even though our planet is bloodthirsty enough to join the galactic government for some reason or another, the general population of Earth isn't made aware. And we aren't made aware of its existence. It's not really important why. Even though we aren't good enough to join said galactic body... I think I'm getting this off because maybe there's a word missing or something. So I'm assuming he's saying that we're not joining it and we're not aware that it exists as opposed to joining it. But most of the people on the planet aren't aware. So even though we aren't good enough to join said galactic body, we still produce force sensitive children, maybe one or two in the whole world. Very, very rare. Let's say for whatever reason that a child of yours is one of those force sensitives and the Jedi come to take them away to be trained as Jedi. One of the most noble, unselfish, benevolent, dangerous, enlightening life paths a being can take. Question. Would you let the Jedi take your child to be trained, knowing you might not ever see your child again, but they could be one of the coolest, best beings in the galaxy? To throw a cherry on top, despite what George Lucas might make you think with the prequels, the Jedi understand that this is a hard and difficult decision, and to help you cope, they offer to make you a three-quarters lightsaber for your sacrifice and help you remember how kick-butt your child is going to be. Obviously, this is for fun, but... I find it fun to think about every once in a while. Sometimes with my kids, I wish it were true. and would love to hear what you guys think about it. Thanks in advance, Ed. P.S. Would you want your kid a Jedi in Legends continuity or the new canon? Oh. I was going to say, three-quarter staff! What am I going to do with three-quarter staff? <laughs> I, I, bring, you bring me back around to that canon versus Legends here because... I, right out the gate, I want to say hell no. <laughs> you ain't taking my kid. Like, I, I don't know. I, I was one of those kids that I always wanted to have a family. I was a, a family too, so I always wanted a big family. So kids is something I have always wanted in my life. Uh, now that I have them, I would never give one of them up. Uh, so for me, like, I, you know, when I come at just the general question, I almost look at it from a, you know, how would I feel if my kid was serving in the military standpoint? Um, and while I have the utmost respect for everyone that serves, uh, I, there's a part of me that is very hesitant to want my kid to do that. Um, my kid's in Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, and you know, there's if he joins, he'll if he joins the Navy, he gets two ranks just for being an Eagle Scout, you know, that kind of thing. And it is a very military-like thing, but you're never going to go to war as a Boy Scout. Uh, so there's that, you know, there's the the the, the threat of them losing their life and so that's the hell no aspect for me you're taking my kid away from me i'm not going to see them and you're putting them in a life where they could die i every fiber of my being says hell no uh now you know there's people go and they you know join the military and they come back perfectly fine and you know i'm i hope that happens for everybody but not everybody makes it back and so there's that visceral hell no i want to keep my kids safe now, looking at the legends and canon, that's a totally different monster, man. And right now, I would have to actually say canon because there is less that I know about canon than I do legends. And I know about all these other threats and about Vong, all this other stuff, uh, and different time frames and stuff. So just the, the, 
the devil I don't know and devil I know, I would I would go with I would rather than be in canon. Um, but then again, my force philosophy and what I know about the force from Legends, maybe I do want him to be in Legends. It could be a more powerful force user. Wow. So, okay, I guess kind of hitting him in reverse. If I had to choose a continuity to have my kid be a Jedi in, I think it depends on if we get to choose our time period. I think I'm with Mark, and it's sort of the devil I don't know might be at least a chance of not being crazy times, as opposed to many of the crazy times that we see in Legends. But there are plenty of more copacetic times in Legends, right? So if we could pick one of the good times, that would work fine. You know, back when the the Jedi were actually peacekeepers, not soldiers, and so forth. Uh, As to whether or not I would do that, now, I don't have any children. Uh, We don't know if we're going to have any children. Uh, My wife's had numerous health things that have kind of made that less likely, but we're, uh, we're still kind of praying on the issue and hoping that someday we will. Uh, ironically, if we do with the, the, the young child's name, if it's a boy would be Cade. So named after Cade Skywalker. So definitely legends for him. I suppose he could be a, a, a drug using Jedi, um, which although, is a joke all the time. Although, you know, wait a second, you want to name him after the druggie? You're about to be a homeowner. So you may find your first, kid like most homeowners is a pet (laughs) (laughs) well we've got pets already oh that's Um, true so i would like to think that i could be like shmi skywalker in that i could be willing to let my child go off to what is an amazing opportunity and a better life but i'm not sure if i would have the internal strength to do it um and i'm someone who and i don't talk about it a lot but i uh, i i'm relatively religious kind of under the surface of all and when things have gotten rough recently, one of the things that has sort of helped keep me in the right perspective is a lot of times I'll listen to the music of a guy named Matthew West. And there are times where I'm listening, like I know that I'm being sort of affected by the music and that my faith is kind of driving what I'm thinking about. Because a lot of times when I'm listening to his music, I love singing along with what I'm listening to. But a lot of times I can't sing along with that stuff without almost bursting into tears uh, when things are rough. And he's got a song called Strong Enough. And it's essentially the idea of um, – and here I'm, I'm feeling myself starting to get that welling up right now. Um, it's basically I'm not sure that I'm strong enough to be what I'm supposed to be right now. You must think – speak, you know, kind of praying. You must think I'm a lot stronger than I actually am if that's the case. So right now I need to essentially give up on being strong enough, do what I can, and essentially hope that – God sees you through. So it's just this idea of having a faith to be able to sort of put your life in, in the hands or the trust in something beyond yourself. And I think to some degree, that's kind of where this question is going is, could they have enough faith in the force or the Jedi or that there, that this opportunity is being presented for a reason to be willing to let their child go off and have faith that it will turn out well. And I think in a lot of ways that comes down to how much faith someone has from a religious standpoint, no matter what religion it might be, because the more that you think that things may happen for a reason and that um, there's sort of a goodness out there, um, I would think would make it easier to make that kind of decision and feel okay about it than someone for whom there is no faith background. So it all comes down to sort of a risk-reward uh, profit and loss type of thing, and it's just a, a logical thing where it would become, no, this is my child. I'm keeping my child. I don't know what's out there. I know that I can try to keep them safe more than maybe you could because I don't know who you are, who this Jedi organization is, where you're taking them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think it'd be more of a pragmatic view in that sense. If it was more pragmatic, I'd probably say no. Um, 
so yeah, that's it's an interesting interesting question there. Uh, although it, it does strike me though that that Mark put an image into my head just then uh, talking about the Boy Scouts. One, I, I've never been a Boy Scout except on video. I, I was hired to do a promotional video when I was in high school where I played a Boy Scout. Yeah. In a video teaching Boy Scouts how to sell popcorn in a really campy horror movie spoof that was really crazy, really odd, really bad, and hopefully nobody ever sees it. Oh again. man, I'm like hoping somebody has uh, this. I mean, oh, I've got on, a digital no. copy. I can show it to you. I just don't want to shit to just to put on YouTube or something. Uh, <laughs> God, it was horrible. Uh, which is where I learned how, that it was. It's caramel, not caramel, as uh, everybody says in Indiana. Yeah, that's uh, it's an Oregon caramel thing corn. Too. But you just you said that it's sort of a military like training, so I can just imagine the Boy Scouts busting in there. What kind of popcorn do you want? What kind of popcorn do you want? How many jobs? <laughs> do you want three or four? You gotta get three or four. You can't get two. You can't get two. I gotta go to camp. Pronounce it caramel. <laughs> Uh, Jack Bauer, if Jack Bauer was running Cub Scouts. But what's funny, though, what you don't realize is, is that is the popcorn. When the popcorn sales start happening, that's, <laughs> and we just start, they, like, our, my, my packs and my troops, we notoriously, we don't do the popcorn sales because we just, nobody buy it's so expensive but other packs and troops like they'll swear by it and so every year you know they're like get your popcorn council's got the popcorn you gotta get your popcorn it's council's council fundraiser come on now you're like oh come on dude can, can i just sell some freaking jerky and be done with it just because yeah see that's that's what my uh my nephews are selling they're selling the jerky stuff yeah and that looks awesome though i really need to put in an order and get a bunch of that stuff coming in because it looked awesome but i didn't buy any whenever i ran into them on our last trip back home but um but yeah the popcorn stuff and that's that better be some gold-plated popcorn <laughs> um for the amount that it costs at least whenever we saw it. i mean that was back in the 90s when we were doing that video and we saw the order list and we were like damn see and, and expensive popcorn and the jedi don't strike me as a bsa type organization maybe more like taekwondo <laughs> Do they allow gay Jedi masters? <laughs> that is the question. That may need to be a Supreme Court thing. Okay. And where do they go uh, to the bathroom? <laughs> oh, Lord. Here we go. All right. Uh, our next one comes in for someone we heard from a couple times in the previous episode from Wampa's Lair podcast fan who asked a question back in January that actually we have a bit of an answer for now. He says, hey, guys. And we're assuming it's a he. We actually don't know. Uh, hey, guys. Just a quick thought with all the talk of Rebels these days. I'd really like an Ahsoka book post-Clone Wars, maybe a Kenobi, J.J. Miller style, dealing with life outside the temple, some adventures, flirting, possible romance, justice on a small scale. I could see a trilogy of books filling the gap for her between Clone Wars and Rebels. What are your thoughts? Thanks, W.L. Well, the good news is we are getting at least one book set in that era that's going to help fill in that gap, but we don't really know much about it. They just kind of announced it. And then it disappeared off the radar again. But uh, uh, I'm all for it. I want to see uh, how that character makes that connection because she's become such a prominent part of story group canon. I mean, story group canon at its core is the films Clone Wars and Rebels. And she is the focal point of Clone Wars and a big part of Rebels. We do need to have that gap filled in. You know what it was was they went, they went book. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> uh, you know, I am glad that they are doing the book because I'm in the camp of they absolutely should. They need to. Uh, you know, when I think about the relevant canon books right now, uh, you, you know, I still think Dark Disciple is it because it's the only one that gives us a a fate, a true 
end of something that is canon in the Clone Wars. You know, we, we see Asajj Ventress's fate unfold in that book. And while this doesn't unfold the fate, it does fill in a lot of key questions that we have about the character that we may not get if that character's fate ends in, say, the TV show or if they decide to put out a comic or a book specifically for that. Uh, but I just I have this feeling it's going to happen in the TV show. And that said, if they do, this could be your only opportunity to really get into the head of the character and put a lot of that stuff out there. But then it, could com- it comes down to at what time frame, you know, like I would hate for them to give us this book that they talked about you know, one season before Ahsoka dies in the books, or I mean, in the, in the TV show. And then we never get another book that goes back, you know, like, like if you know, you're going to offer in the TV show, at least like, you know, give us something that makes the book more relevant. If we're never going to get that fate story, like, I don't know. I want some more relevance to it. And, and, I see some very good potential with Ahsoka's character. But same thing with Maul, though. You know, there's another main character that's out there floating about that it's like, well, what, whatever happened with the Mandalorians? Like, you know, now you're on Malachor, but, you know, what happened to the Mandalore faction that you were with? Like, they were all like, yeah, we like you. We want to put horns on our crowns and stuff. I don't know. There's some stories to be told. This actually leads into another one from the same person uh, who also highlights when talking about this uh, one about just really wanting some books on Ahsoka and her time between Clone Wars and Rebels, which, you know, yes, we, we, we get that it's something that's really wanted here because we got two emails on the same subject uh, relatively close together here within a matter of about a month or so. But the question of, uh, in this case, saying, I would love a trilogy, maybe a young adult style like Lost Stars or maybe like Dark Disciple, maybe even a run in with Asajj Ventress before Dark Disciples events and asking our thoughts on that. And I find it interesting here. I almost feel like an Ahsoka story really is the prime candidate for being a young adult book or book series, meaning something like Lost Stars, as opposed to maybe something aimed a little bit younger like uh, Servants of the Empire, because of that age level target for the Clone Wars and the age that many of the kids who got into Star Wars early with the Clone Wars would be as the, as of the time that it's coming out. I think you're more likely to capture that audience with a young adult style book rather than otherwise. And Lost Ooh. Stars has proven that a young adult style book for Star Wars in the new canon can be just as good, if not better, than the adult targeted books. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, totally. Great example of that. Uh, who is the Mandalorian boy that Ahsoka had all those run-ins with? I'm drawing a blank as to his name. Well, it wasn't really really Mandalorian per se. It was Lux Bonteri, yeah, but he was a separatist who tried to join the Death Watch but didn't. Okay, so their story, like, they never really had a romance, but there was kind of like one in the background. Like, you could have him show up. And do some kind of romance angle there where, you know, maybe she was just like, you know, hey, we're all, you know, buddies. And he's like, hey, like, uh, I don't know if you're paying attention, but like, you're a gal, I'm a guy, like, mm-hmm. you know, nature and stuff. And I don't know, like, you know, young adult books, they're kind of heavy onto that kind of stuff. So there's that angle. I think that that could work. And then you have the whole background of her being on the run, her keeping tabs on Anakin, uh, or her desperately looking to find out what happened to Anakin. Uh, you know, cause all we know is that she was watching Anakin when he rushed off to save the chancellor, but that could be 
taken out of context. I mean, we're always assuming that's at the beginning of episode three. This could be right when he rushed off with the masters to take down Sidious. I mean, she could have been watching that and thought, well, he's going to save the chancellor, not knowing what was going on. I mean, we don't really Hmm. know the context of where she was at the time and what the events were. I mean, people watch events happen and come away with things completely wrong. Case in point, when I was robbed at gunpoint in March of this year, when I stop and think about my memories of what happened, it was so traumatic when I saw that guy's gun that I immediately, my brain latches on to a weekend before that when I was at snow capades with a bunch of kids wearing ski jackets and stuff. And that's what I remember. I remember the guy wearing a big puffy ski jacket with a beanie that had a little ball on top. Not at all what the guy was wearing. But when I stop and I think about what I saw on the video the night I was robbed, I remember what the guy was wearing. But when I go to my mind's eye of when I walked around the corner and I saw that guy physically standing there and I saw the gun, I don't remember seeing him wearing what he was wearing. I, I went trauma status and remember something else. Another case in point was when this guy murdered this girl and ended up in my sister's garage with my mom. My mom was with the guy. He had just a pair of pants on and the girl's blood all over him. And my 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 sister's mother-in-law has a totally different description of the guy and was arguing with my mom about it. But she had the same thing. She wasn't close enough and her trauma took her to another place entirely. It's just it's amazing what people, you know. So I don't know. It's just I'm always kind of curious as to where the, that could go. <laughs> What the fuck is wrong with Oregon? I know, right? Man, whoa, whoa. I'm just like, my brain just went. Beautiful uh, state, crazy fools. See, and all I was thinking of was a bad Lux and Ahsoka joke where it'd be like, <laughs> so, um, so Lux, have you gotten over Steela's death yet? Why, yes, and I've been thinking. I bet those could be used as handles, couldn't they? <laughs> Because you know, and that would work in a young adult book because the only Star Wars book to really heavily reference, not heavily reference, but directly reference scenes of characters having sex is Lost Stars, Mm -hmm. which is young adults. So there you go. All right. This brings us to, before we get any further on that at all. um, (laughs) Stay on target. uh, This brings us to another from Andrew Gilbertson. uh, Going back to the question of unresolved stories, story threads from Legends, which is one of our episodes uh, a while back early this year. He says, wow, I'm working my way through the EU of the Bantam era, sort of a custom playlist, if you will. And the thing that's really striking me is how many unfinished stories there were really begging for a follow up characters that sure could have used fleshing out and wrapping up instead of the upteenth Boba Fett comic or the newest choices of one slash Razor's Edge era post a new hope overstuffing. Uh, Eric Johnson, or Johansson, I'm not sure how you're supposed to pronounce that, Davin Felt, Kean Farlander, the culture of Tatooine, whose interwoven tale is spun throughout the latter half of Tales from the Most Sightly Cantina. I hadn't remembered so many characters just being left off and never picked up by anyone else. Not to mention more prominent examples like Kyle and Jan, whose story begs for some sort of eventual resolution and instead just got used as mobile set dressing in the post-New Jedi Order era. Hey, hey, I will agree on that because I tried to get them married and they told me no. So we had the conversation in the comic about how they didn't get married. I want to know if they ever did. (laughs) But the one that really took the cake for me was the X-Wing strategy guide. Man, oh man, talk about an abrupt ending. Pretty much every character beat in the book is left totally unresolved, minus Hamo's disappearance, it seems. Since this is one of the rare EU works I was reading for the first time instead of the first time in a long time, it came as a bit of a rude shock. It's a slow burn start, and just as things really get interesting, it cuts itself off. 
I was wondering if you felt the same way, because I figured if anyone else would have actually read the darn thing, it would be you. Andrew. So, Mark, did you read the X-Wing strategy guide that essentially has the Farlander Papers stories in it? Oh, the Farlander See, I I might have. Now, is this the one that came with – this isn't the one that came with TIE Fighter, right? This is the one that's like the strategy guide by Prima for X-Wing that weaves in sort of the strategy guide with the story of the book. It's kind of like what they did with the TIE Fighter strategy guide for Steel Chronicles and the uh, X-Wing Alliance strategy guide as well. Son but this is a- like the guide that told the guide in sort of a narrative way. Oh, son of a Sith Bith named Tenebris. No, I didn't I didn't read that one. I actually I didn't know that that one was out there. I was thinking this was those uh, comic uh, X-Wing strategy, little strategy books, but those are actually, I think, sketchbooks now that I think about it. Huh. No, I hadn't, but I, I am somebody I, – I don't like open ends unless they're planned to come back later. Uh, but I don't even like that because then you have like what happened with Karen Travis where something happens and they don't come back. Or, or you have a book like Death Troopers where you're like, wait, they don't have the Falcon? What the f- – not, not a fan. Yeah, I did read that one. I read all three of those strategy guides and actually those stories are on the uh, Legends documents for the Star Wars Timeline Gold. But I don't remember them – all that clearly what i can remember is that they felt like strategy guides in the end but like they felt like they were leaving it off because it was up to you to end the story well mm, yeah, that's lovely that. and all but if you're reading it as a book as opposed to reading it as you're playing the pc game especially these days when you know who knows if you'll find a, a platform on which they would work maybe steam can do it maybe god can do it who the heck knows um that, you know, nowadays, if you're reading those as a book, it feels really abrupt. But there were a lot of characters that were like that. But to an extent, there's a part of me that steps back and says, OK, this is something the EU did that was a little bit different than what's happening with the new canon and all. And it sort of has me wondering which is the better approach, because the EU had a lot of people who were brought in and then dropped early on in, for instance, Tales from the Most Icely Cantina, Tales from Jabba's Palace and stuff like that, or the Adventure Journal characters who appeared in these stories, some of whom actually were film characters in the background. And Legends took the time to give them all backstories, give them all names, give them all things to do because of how huge Legends became. And in that case, you have so many characters, many of whom are minor, of course, a huge number of them are going to be left behind. But at least they got a story. Whereas with the new canon, the background characters aren't tending to get those types of stories, except the Tales from a Galaxy Far, Far Away Aliens book that was just a little bit weird with a handful of characters out of the background of The Force Awakens. And they're and they're weird, too. I mean, a freaking Uncar plot doing a, a website dating service, basically, and winding up accidentally dating an AI or something. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> a cooking competition to figure out who a murderer is. Weird. Um But the new canon really hasn't been doing that that much. So in that case, there'll be less characters probably left behind who have had a chance to be explored, but they're not getting a chance to be explored in the first place. And which is the lesser of those evils? I'd kind of like to see more fleshing out of those, even if they do wind up not getting a whole lot more development, just to kind of have the stories of them and know a bit about them when we see them in the background and say, hey, that's so-and-so. I know a little bit about him, as opposed to watching the films and saying, hey, I used to know about that character. Hell if I know about him now, because that part of their background's been erased. It'd be nice if they ever got a story or some background again. So in that sense, it's a darned if you do, darned if you don't type of thing, I think. Yeah. The next one comes in from Dom Nardi, who says, Hi, Mark and Nathan. After watching The Force Awakens, I realize I'm still having a hard time letting go of the old Legends material. I don't mean for this email to be a rant against The Force Awakens, because it isn't. 
I really enjoyed the movie and the characters. It's just that it doesn't quite seem like the real sequel to Return of the Jedi in the way that Legends did. I think part of this is because we still haven't gotten much in the way of connecting the dots between the two films. It's still really unclear how the New Republic faltered, why the First Order rose, etc., especially given that Return of the Jedi seemed like it had left us on a happily ever after ending. But I also think Legends continued the story in a more logical manner, at least the major works like the Thrawn books and even the New Jedi Order. We saw the Republic come to power, saw Han and Leia married, and saw Luke's Jedi. The Force Awakens kind of feels like a big reset button. Han's a smuggler again. The good guys are rebels again. The First Order slash Empire is building super weapons again. It doesn't feel like anything has progressed since Return of the Jedi, like they didn't accomplish anything. There are some important developments, Luke going into exile, Han as a father, etc., but I feel like I need to see episodes 8 and 9 before I'm really convinced. It's odd, because I do love The Force Awakens as a movie, but I'm still not sure if I love it as a story, at least when compared to the likes of the Thrawn trilogy. The Thrawn books had excellent plotting and truly memorable new characters. Some of the twists in that story were downright brilliant. The Force Awakens captures so much of the essence of Star Wars, but the plot is pretty uninspired. I guess it all makes me appreciate how the old EU let authors take risks and created some truly original stories, as well as some duds. I'm not going to resist The Force Awakens as the official sequel to Return of the Jedi, but it hasn't come close to killing off my love and respect for the Thrawn books. Thanks, Dom. Oh man, hard time letting go. You know, sometimes the feedback episodes are a little emotional for me because uh, yeah, I have the same problem, man. I don't think we should have to let go. Um, you know, the whole unlearn what you learn. Ha 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 ha. Yay, yeah, Lucas wrote it, Yoda said it. Now everybody in marketing is throwing it our way. Ha ha ha. Uh, but yeah, I have a real hard time with it too. I mean, there's a lot of things that I know and then there's the aspects of, oh, well, they're bringing this over, they're bringing that over and then you're just like, well, what else could they bring over? And therein lies the rub because then you start having the preconceived notions of things and, and, and that's where, yeah, that's where I have a hard time as well. Uh, you know, the need to connect the dots. I think it was supposed to make us intrigued, but I, I feel like it backfired. It backfired because they can't fill in those dots because they're doing it in the movies. You know, I mean, like we want to know about Ray's parents. We want to know about when Ben fell. We want to know about Luke's order getting wiped out. We want to know about Luke walking away and Han taking off. Those are all things that if they're going to be told in a book, you can guarantee we're not going to get that book until after episode eight or nine. Uh, and, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. We're all in that same boat. We have to wait till the next movies are coming out to really get a good justified say on it. Uh, now, we do know though that there was some character progression Han's now a racer at least uh, Bloodline mentions that but again Han's a racist? A, a racer uh, swoop bike no but piloting ships maybe and he sponsors races or something uh, but that's progression only in a book so again you're right now looking at TFA versus Legends or in this case the Thrawn on a story level I'm again forced to agree uh, the EU yeah it took a lot of risks yeah there were a lot of crap at times but there were also a lot of diamonds uh, you know I talk about the New Jedi Order that you know there, even in that series of 19 books that went on and kind of droned on at times uh, there were a lot of really great moments inside of it but the fact that you had an enemy that came in that dealt with a technology that was unseen you know the 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 philosophical concepts going on with the force and the way that the vong fit into it the way the jedi were looking at how to use it things of that nature and then when verger showed up and she threw luke this whole little you know side wrench angle where she's like oh i've got this whole new philosophy from this here and then luke's kind of like well she once was a jedi so it was like no nah, girl been tainted fool and then he had to get a 
around it. I, there was so much stuff going on that just, I don't know. I, yeah, I get that it didn't appeal to everyone, but there was a lot of it that appealed to me. And on a story level, when I'm looking at the Thrawn one with TFA, I agree. I, I, I think you could take the Thrawn stuff, give it the same J.J. Abrams movie trappings and have just a successful movie. But I don't think you could take the J.J. TFA movie event and made it just a book and thrown it out there. I don't I don't think that it would have had the same splash. I think the issue here is context, because, I mean, we can't really make a direct comparison between the Thrawn trilogy and The Force Awakens because the context of each and the time period of each is so vastly different. I mean, if they had jumped into Legends and said, OK, here's the new Jedi Order or here's Legacy of the Force, here's Fate of the Jedi. Have fun as the first stories with their, their stories intact, with those stories being the first ones we got for the Legends continuity after Return of the Jedi, yes, we've been sitting back going, what the hell is going on? And being concerned about, you know, how, how did the story progress in between now and then, especially if it was Legacy of the Force? Wait a second. Isn't this something we've kind of seen before in some way? Isn't some aspect of this similar to the thing with the Separatists versus the Republic back in the Clone Wars? What's going on? Instead, we've got a movie here that takes place 30 years after Return of the Jedi being compared to a, to a book series, a trilogy, that takes place five years after Return of the Jedi. It's much easier to make a direct continuation when you've got something that is set much closer to the original. Uh, you don't have as much space to fill in. The character progression in between is presumably going to be somewhat less in terms of what's expected and what must have happened. In a sense, by the time we get to The Force Awakens, these characters have changed, and these are their current versions of them, and we're seeing echoes of what we knew of them in the past, but we don't know what they've been through in between, except for the few hints that we get. And the books haven't really fleshed that out too much yet, except a little bit starting to happen with things like the Aftermath books, huh, and uh, things like Bloodline. Whereas with the Thrawn trilogy, it was very easy to say, look, they got married recently, they got the kids on the way, uh, the Empire is kind of striking back, so to speak, because, well, there's still remnants left behind. OK, awesome. And go for the Thrawn trilogy. And they had, you know, three books to tell the story or even one novel to tell a story that can be more in depth because it is a novel than what has to appear on screen in terms of time and storytelling limits. So I would think that it's not really a fair comparison. But I would remind folks that even with the Thrawn trilogy, there were still questions like, wait a second, when did they get married? What? And we actually got two answers for that, right? We got the the junior books with the Jedi Prince series, and we got Courtship of Princess Leia that immediately stomped on them and said, nope, they didn't actually get married at the end. That's not what you're seeing in Queen of the Empire. Yeah, I mean, uh, technically, I've always thought about that. Like, you know, all we saw was them starting to walk down the aisle. A lot or, can uh, happen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there were still questions. I mean, there was the wedding. There was the question of, well, what's been happening with the Empire in the background? Was there ever any kind of truce or is the war officially still ongoing? Uh, what about the government structure, how it was built? How did they take Coruscant? Is there a story there? And eventually we got those stories as time went on over the span of the next few years. I think what's really going to be the thing that's telling is two or three years from now or five years from now, have they filled in enough of the gap between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens that it feels natural as a progression or as natural of a progression as what we saw in, say, about the same amount of storytelling decades in Legends, even though in Legends it was being written 
in a different order, you know, telling the earlier stories and then expanding to slightly earlier and stuff going all the way up to like the new Jedi order. Whereas in this case, they jumped way ahead and now they're having to fill in a giant gap in between instead of a small one. Um, But we'll see. I don't think that for many fans of legends though, it's going to be easy to let go of the old way of looking at it. And I don't think we need to let go of it. If we could acknowledge both. I think when you're sitting there saying, no, uh, Legends is the only canon, I think you're dismissing reality. But at the same time, uh, to say, you know, uh, canon is it. Legends should never have been something I liked. Or somehow saying, I can't like it anymore because now there's this new canon, I think is also disingenuous. Mm. You can like both. And yeah, yeah, that is going to often lead to some comparisons. Just like if you're a big fan of You know, I love the 1990s X-Men cartoons. I read a bunch of the X-Men comics at the time. It does not hinder my ability to like the X-Men movies. Different continuities. I deal with it. Mm -hmm. And we actually lucked out. There's even an X-Men 95 or something like that right now going on. This one comes in actually through the website, through the comments on the posts from Karina Borsuk, if I'm saying that correctly. Responding to our first piece of our The Force Awakens retrospective just a few episodes ago. First, I want to say that I just discovered this podcast, and I've really enjoyed the episodes I've listened to. You both have some great insight into the characters and the new canon. Spoilers below! There are some great things in The Force Awakens, but overall, I found a lot more things to dislike than like. After listening to this episode, you've given me a lot to think about, as well as some things to check out. But I still think that the big three were out of character in some ways. I won't give you the entire rundown, though you did address some of these things in the episode. Mostly, though, I thought you were much kinder to the characterizations in this movie than was deserved. I mean, Luke runs away from his nephew, sister, and best friend in their time of greatest need, but he leaves a secret map for Leia to spend her time tracking down? Really? Luke didn't give up on his father after Vader cut off his hand, killed Kenobi, tortured Leia and Han, and more, but he's willing to give up on his nephew. That seems very out of character to me. As far as Han goes, it killed me to watch the scene with Kylo because Han has always been my favorite character. I always felt Han went through a lot of growth in the original films, and The Force Awakens took away a lot of that. It was like he regressed. Okay, I'll stop my rant for now, but just know that even though it seems we disagree about The Force Awakens, I have very much become a fan of your podcast. Mind if I hit this one first? Go for it. So I feel like this one almost, I I can actually rebut some of this because I think this is a matter of context. Uh, With Han being killed and, and the idea that he, that The Force Awakens took away his characterization, I don't feel like that was the case. Yes, he's gone back to smuggling, but he doesn't feel like he's the same man as before. His attitude is different. His feelings for Leia are still there. He's a man who feels as though he can't go home again because of what happened with their child and how their relationship has broken. This is not a man who's on his own or just out there with Chewie because he's just a smuggler in the rogue, and that's just what he does. I mean, this is like this is why he says, you know, you are Han Solo. I used to be. Uh, he's kind of worn down at this point. He's hurting at this point. And you can see that in some of the conversations that he has. And the Han that I know from the original trilogy, at least when he started out, I don't know that he would have been willing to simply do anything for someone else and sacrifice that way. It's such a big moment at the end of A New Hope when he comes back to save Luke that that's this big character change moment. Whereas in this case, here's a man who steps up and there is no hesitation to say, I will do anything for my son. Come home. We miss you. You know, I need to be free of this pain. Will you help me? Anything. And is willing to take that saber, whether it meant that he was expecting to be killed, expecting to take the saber and take him home, whatever. But 
I, I don't think that that Han regressed at all. This seems like it is a natural progression for what he's been through. That said, though, it seems like there's a missing step because we haven't got stories in that gap, uh, as was just being mentioned in that previous email. Uh, so we see him different more similar in what he's gone back to as far as what he's doing in his life, but not necessarily more similar as a character to A New Hope, uh, and we don't have the story beats in between. As for Luke walking away, I think there's two things. One, just as far as the map goes, this seems to be a, a point of contention and confusion for people. Luke did not leave a map to where he is. He didn't say, I'm going here, here's where you will find me. What he did was, he went to go find the original Jedi Temple. That's where they believed he was going. Okay, so to find Luke, you need to get a map to the original Jedi Temple. That's what was in the Imperial records that R2 had from the Death Star and that are from downloading on the Death Star uh, years ago and what the First Order had from the Imperial records. There was a missing piece of that map that apparently been deleted somehow, and that's what... BB-8 was carrying around that Lor Santeca had because of his travels searching through you know the, the religious history and whatnot of the Jedi as a religious wondering type figure. It wasn't here's where to find Luke. It's here's where Luke went and here's how to get there, which are two very different things. I, I've heard this over and over again. Why did Luke leave a map to where he went? That's not what he did. Unless you expected him to turn around and somehow scour the galaxy and delete all records of how to get to that place. It'd be like, you know, uh, if somebody asked me how to get to Mark and and I have his home address, I could tell them how to get to Mark. I'm not saying here's the map to Mark Herleman, no matter where he is. Maybe he's at the movies this day. Maybe he's at Walmart. It's me saying, hey, this is where you're usually going to find him. So here's a map to his house. And it raises an excellent question, though of who deleted that section from the Imperial records, which mm-hmm. makes me immediately go, ooh, that could be your Kenobi story. You know, Although, like, and, and it makes me wonder, though, with that, you know, he, he went searching for the first Jedi Temple, mm-hmm. which suggests to me that, I mean, maybe what we're going to find is perhaps that he had that partial map, just as the Empire had that partial map, thanks to R2-D2 getting it from the Death Star and whatnot. Maybe it was through Lor Santeca that Luke got the map that finished the course and took him where he needed to go. Yeah. And it's not that, you know, Lor Santeca happened to have a map to the same place. Maybe Lor Santeca was the source for Luke getting that last step of the journey, which also adds a parallel to Rey being able to do that. Uh, as for him walking away, how he didn't give up and walk away when Vader cut off his hand, killed Kenobi, tortured Leia and Han, and, and whatnot, and how he's willing to give up. It's not that he's giving up on his nephew here it's not he didn't give up on his dad so why is he giving up on his nephew it's one was his responsibility one was not in essence he didn't fail anakin to turn anakin into vader but he failed kylo at least in his mind theoretically to let him become kylo ren and luke walking away seems very much like what we saw with obi-wan what we saw with yoda the sense of you know i have failed I need to step back. I, I'm assuming that probably to some degree, it's the idea that we actually saw show up sometimes with Luke talking about it in Legends. Mm-hmm. Just the idea of, wow, you know, is, is there a danger to me training people? Mm-hmm. Can I really be a teacher? And don't I run the risk of them turning to the dark side? Kind of like Kanan being worried about Ezra in Rebels. And in this case, Luke now has a case in point where one of his students turned to the dark side, pretty much wiped out the others and screwed everything up. Holy crap, maybe I shouldn't be teaching. Maybe I should step away. So, well, I think leaving Leia and Han and them just completely behind and going fully into exile is a little over the top. I don't think the two things being compared in the comment here are comparable in the way that they're being presented. I think they are that the context is too different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I was thinking about the the 
deleting that bit from the Imperial Records, you could have like Laura Santeca and Kenobi teaming up. Like somehow he ends up finding Kenobi, uh, he, or I don't even know. Like I'm just finding a way to tie in Kenobi. But I just want to know who would delete that. Like if it was Laura himself, I want to know more about why. Uh, you know, it would make sense to keep it from Palpatine, which that's Ooh. where I'm like the Kenobi angle, man. Keep it from Palpatine. What? Well, Kenobi could have gotten that idea from having Kamino removed from the records back in Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, what if the Sith found the place first and they deleted it when they deleted Kamino from the records? And that's why it was incomplete records for the Empire, because the records would have been carried over from the Jedi archives into the Empire when the Empire came to power. Maybe the deleting, if it's deleting, goes back even further. But, like, in all speculation, we need to see this stuff fleshed out someday so that makes more sense. And hopefully, that's where the Poe Dameron comic is going. You got the story for Poe in Before the Awakening that seemed to lead directly into him finding Lor Santeca, but it doesn't. It's like the start of the search for him. And now the comic is the full search for Lor Santeca. So hopefully by the time we see them meet, maybe we'll get some more answers. See, and I keep looking at Luke as whatever happened with Ben and that order was so bad that Luke's looking at himself like an atomic bomb and is worried that his hands aren't the most balanced to be hovering over the button right now. You know, Luke's taking himself off the playing field because of the fact that he's so volatile uh and i think about how you know when jason solo kills mara jade skywalker in legends and and that was his worry then and that's why Jaina's like i'm the one that has to do this you can't do this uh so that's kind of what that's the angle i see at play uh and on han like i see han is a different han um that and one of the things that jumps out to me is is some humor where you, you know when they're talking about i'm going to talk my way out of it and chewie's like, and he's like yes i do every time but see, even Chewie doesn't believe in Han anymore. That's the thing about this Han is that he's so broken. Like I, that for me was one of the difficult changes to my perceptions of these characters because, especially because of Legends, uh, uh, and just in general, because I've always like Han was like the character I related the most to, you know, me and my best friend. My best friend was uh, seven foot three, seven four. So, you know, it was like Han and Chewie everywhere we went. Like, I don't know. That was. I, I just, I've always kind of related like that. So it was a definite different take for me as well to get my head wrapped around the fact that Han walked away. But then I do think about like when Chewie died and Han walked away, you know, went to all the bars and stuff in the books and mm-hmm. that felt very normal. And that went on for a while. And, and even though that went on for as long as it did, it felt like a natural progression of the character. And that was something that, that I really, that's what I'm missing right now with the books is that feel like they're adding something to the progression of these characters or having a character that may show up first in the books get picked up and we see that character progression add up. Yeah, we saw uh, Snap show up, but who was he? He was Snap. We had to find out that he was Temin from another source. We couldn't even openly admit that he was an EU, new EU character then. I don't know. I'm just, it's hard, it's hard not to get into that. I, so, so I forgive you for disliking so much of TFA because it's, it's a difficult, and fun opportunity for our fandom to walk into that one because of just the history of our fandom and, and where everyone comes into it. So there's a lot going on. I know a lot of my mom's friends, my aunts and uncles that are just angry as hell and, and done with Star Wars in general because Han died. And yeah, it's just it's just the nature of our beast. It's fun to talk about. Yeah, the debate is always enlightening. So I did, please don't take anything I said necessarily as a, a critique of your opinion. I'm glad that, that you've expressed it and 
having it different than ours just kind of shows that breadth of fandom. I just I felt like there was a need to address those specific critiques and why those weren't part of what what we thought about it, or at least what I thought about well, it. A lot of people um, think it's a, a map to Luke and not that it's a map to the first temple. Exactly. They were assuming Luke was there. <laughs> and and you mentioned the whole thing with Mara Jade and, and when, or Mara Jade Skywalker, when she got killed uh, and how basically, you know, Luke believed it was Lumaya and, and he had to go kill her and all this kind of stuff. I think uh, I really am wanting to see a dramatization of that deleted scene from sacrifice or from uh, the later books uh, after what happened uh, where we see Luke pull out the lightsaber. And he's just like, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Cause he was a little volatile at the time. You killed my wife. Prepare to die. There you go. All right. And then we have one. I find this interesting because we have one here from March from the Wombus Lair podcast fan which is a sort of revising of Thoughts on the Force Awakens after we heard Thoughts on the Force Awakens from December 18th. The one asking uh, about the celebration trailer line about you have that power too, and where is George Lucas's politics in this? And I mentioned how Bloodline would sort of fit that mold. We have sort of a, a what to think about it months later type of email here. So as a follow-up here, we have... Hi, guys. I know you haven't gotten to this feedback yet, but after a couple months of The Force Awakens being out, I have some new thoughts and comments on your recent 2015 Other review episode. That's the episode where we first touched on The Force Awakens. I've actually started to like The Force Awakens less, and it's strange. The more I think about it, it feels like a top-notch fan film, which it technically is from a certain point of view. I'm not hating on it, and oddly, I love the new characters, especially Kylo Ren. Just like Nate, I find him fascinating and similar to Anakin in many ways. The characters have depth, but the story doesn't seem to. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. I think getting more concrete material tying into the movie will change this view, or maybe once 8 and 9 are out. But right now, it feels like a really good blockbuster like Avengers, but for some reason, not like Star Wars. Certain things like, hell no, took me out of it. The depth of the story in the OT and PT original trilogy and prequel trilogy, was what made it unique to me. It felt like a galaxy far, far away. Just my two cents. On a side note, what bugs me is that I cannot see any great books coming out again, because those will be in the episode films or anthology movies. The old EU was unique and got movie-level story arcs, sometimes, because there was no more Star Wars planned, period. Or in the era it was written. I wonder how many months or years until I get a response. Hey, wait a second. Thanks for all your hard work. I pray for the best for both of you guys and your families. Uh, changing views. You know, I expect my point of view for The Force Awakens to change a lot after the next two films in the trilogy come out. Especially once I know who Ray's parents are. Uh, knowing where Snoke's coming from. that uh, You know, that's going to totally change quite a bit about how I'm interpreting it. How everything's just clicking, you know, the, the formulas in my mind that I'm thinking about at the time. Uh, you know, and, and a recurring theme, cause, you know, Legends was great. Uh, no great books. I, you know, the only way I can see great book stories is if they determine a second string cast. Uh, you know, your, your snaps, your, uh, you know, your Ezra Bridger. I mean, let's, let's use Ezra. I mean, if they decide to keep Ezra alive and Ezra ties in somehow, some form, some fashion into the films or something, you know, you could do something along that line or take a character from, you know, one of these projects and 
flesh them out. You know, Coran Horn started out as like, you know, a character that was just a side story, you know, from one of the tales books. And then uh, they put him into the X wing books. And then uh, they decided to slip him in, in a book called I Jedi and tie him into the Jedi search books. And so, you know, next thing you know, you've got this great, history of this character who eventually becomes a Jedi himself and he has kids that are Jedi and then his kids suffer from, I mean, you know, you, you just, it starts with one book and then you add to it. One I would like to see the new canon do is the Battlefront Twilight Company story. Hazram Namir in this book, uh, he's mainly the focal character. That's a character that I could see becoming like a Wedge Antilles type with what we got with Race Squadron. Uh, his banter with Gladrin especially kind of felt like very Wes and Wedge. Uh, but I could see, you know, them putting out more of these type of stories and eventually him being a major general. You know, you know, somebody that's in a position where, oh, by the way, yeah, he was in the background. He was one of the characters that had his back faced to the camera kind of thing. Uh, you know, like I, I just they have to invest in the characters. That's the problem. They're not willing to frickin invest in the books. They're just after the quick cash. If they were willing to invest in the books, we would have some legend books being actually made, not just slap a legends banner on and put it out. They want the quick cash. They're still, they've got these publishing companies out there that are hiring authors and doing all that stuff. They're not going to terminate that business. They're going to let them run themselves. And we're just going to get a couple of these books. They're all going to be just like what we got at the beginning where what they did to John Jackson Miller, a guy that was known for tying books together, who wrote a new dawn, not even knowing it was in the new canon and yet wrote a book that didn't tie to hardly anything, which is very un John Jackson Miller because that had become the name of the game. Ah, and that just frustrates me and I'm sorry to get such down on it, but wow. It, yeah. So, so if you're listening to this episode, note that we recorded this one and the last one back to back. So some of that pessimism is leaking into my normally positive attitude. <laughs> Damn. Wow. Um, I don't know. I don't see my enjoyment of The Force Awakens changing anytime in the near future, but I say that knowing that back in heck, I would say actually it was right around the time that I premiered Chrono Radio because I premiered my first podcast, Chrono Radio, on the same day that the, the Attack of the Clones hit theaters. I went to see the film, came home, recorded the first podcast for that. And at the time I was like, this is the best Star Wars film ever. And now it's either my least favorite or second least favorite, depending on where I put the Phantom Menace in relation to it, because they're both weaker, but for different reasons. Um, so that may very well change in the future. I do think that part of it is the world building thing. With what we had for uh, for the original trilogy, we had years of getting used to it and sort of imagining what it could be like. And it felt like a lived in used universe, which was so different than other sci fi series at the time that were all very shiny and pretty and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we didn't get a ton of context in those films. We got a little bit, but especially in A New Hope, there was a lot of stuff left unanswered, just brief mentions of things like the idea of the emperor and whatnot. Uh it really took things like early expanded universe material that wasn't even meant to fit together initially, the stuff like the Marvel comics and whatnot to start fleshing it out. Then we get the RPG and then we get the expanded universe when it really started kicking off in 91 for Legends and all that. That really gave us a context to it and it felt like a broader, bigger galaxy, something that the new novels and such really aren't doing much. There's not a lot of world building going on. With the prequels, one could argue that a big part of Lucas's sort of uh, downfall, one of the, the things that really hurt the prequels, 
Chronicles is he spent so much time doing the world building and every shot needs to be tons of CGI with all these different background characters. And I don't really care so much about making Anakin's fall entirely believable. I want to make sure this background character looks cool. And did you see the swimming in the orb at the opera kind of stuff? So in that sense, you know, the the prequels had a lot of world building almost to a detrimental degree. The original trilogy had very little relatively world building, but it had other material that was doing the world building for it. This film goes back to the we're not going to world build a bunch. We're going to drop a lot of concepts and sort of name drop things and leave it to later stories to flesh it out or the books and comics and such to then flesh it out. So in a sense, it kind of feels like it's back to that original plan, but it means that we're coming into this film without the context of that era at all. And really, as more books have been written in this era, a few have been released, and even they aren't really given a lot of context to it. Bloodline starts to do that, but even it is six years prior to the events of The Force Awakens. So I'm wondering, again, give us a couple of years. Let's see where all the context is and how much backstory we've finally gotten for it by that point. I do agree that things like the hell no kind of took me out. A lot of the stuff that Finn said. I love Finn as a character. He's a fun character. You can see John Boyega's enthusiasm coming through. But there were plenty of moments of his where I was like, wait, one, this is very American sounding as opposed to Star Wars sounding. And two, they're dipping just a little bit towards the African American pop culture stereotype. Not sure about that. But we've got like, hell no. We've got, did you see that? Did you see that? And, you know, when he's interacting with Ray, he's like, like, so, so where, where are you from? You, you, you got, got a boyfriend, got a cute boyfriend. And it's just, there's things that he says that feel more like he's trying to put the audience into the film, a modern American or modern worldwide audience into the film as a perspective character. than it does feeling like he's talking Star Wars. But then again, talking Star Wars feels different if you're looking at the original trilogy versus the prequels versus the sequel trilogy and the way the diction works, the way that they're using phrasing that's a little more formal in some cases versus otherwise. I think we you sort of could go from there's the old thing about uh, Harrison Ford saying, you know, you can write this stuff, stuff, George, but you just can't say it. In a sense, I feel like that led to a lot of the more wooden, formal, stilted dialogue that many people complain about in the prequels. We get a little bit more of a looser dialogue, but still stuff that's kind of heavier phrasing in the original trilogy. And now we get the sequel trilogy where that's sort of given over to a more natural sounding dialogue. And part of me wonders if that's just an era thing, if it's a generational thing of when the films are being made, or if it's a conscious choice made by the writers, or simply the fact that George Lucas wasn't involved in writing this one or directing this one. Um, Who knows? Could be a combination of all. Yeah, generational and Lucas not being involved. Because I was thinking like... So is that why Poe and me are like clicking so much? Because he uses phrases like me, like, we're going to do this. (laughs) As long as we don't get to a point where in the next episode we have uh, Finn turn to Poe and say, all right, let's do this, bruh. Hey, but if they drop a frack, I'm going to be, I'll be just, I'll be ecstatic. I'm, I'm, oh, I did, just went into the thing on the, the live stream the other day of the question of, well, so what is going to be the new F bomb for Star Wars? If Criffing was in Legends, will there be Criffing in Canon? I mean, the word Criffing. Obviously, yeah. there's Criffing in Canon, yeah. or Ben couldn't have been conceived. Yeah. Criff that. We have one more for this episode. We do have some more coming up that we'll do uh, in an upcoming episode. Hence, coming up. That was interesting phrasing. But um, we do have one that we want to get in this episode that is from Anthony Madden. And it is an audio feedback response to our review and discussion of Aftermath. Anthony says... Hi, Nathan and Mark. I'd like to offer my comments or feedback, if you will, on the 
new canon Star Wars book, Aftermath, written by Chuck Windig. First off, as an English teacher, I will just say that in speech and writing sometimes, we break rules. However, Chuck Windig takes breaking rules of grammar to all new heights, or you could say all new lows. It was like this book was written without having an editor. Heck, this seems like this book was written without actually having a second draft. Let me just say this. Mr. Windig's writing is the worst Star Wars I've read since The Crystal Star. His word choice, the jumping around the galaxy, telling story snippets I couldn't care less about, interrupted the story, and made it feel like I was watching a modern pop music video where the shots are cut from one to the other every three seconds. I didn't care about any of the protagonists in the book. None of the five were interesting to me. I did care about the Imperials, though, but he didn't talk about them very much. And I didn't care about the protagonists because they weren't the big three. It was just that he wrote them in such a one-dimensional manner. Especially, who seemed to be the center of the story, the whining street urchin guy. He was involved in such comically silly situations that I shook my head throughout the book. It made it seem like Chuck Wendig was channeling Jar Jar Binks when he was thinking of this role for this street urchin kid. Actually, I can't even remember anybody's names in the book besides Mr. Bones. That's it. And I didn't even like him. Okay, here are some stupid things about the book. For instance, the street urchin kid. At one scene in the book, he pole vaults onto the side of a space yacht or something like an imperial yacht that's taking off. And somehow he's able to hang on as this thing accelerates past the clouds and starts heading for upper atmosphere. He had already lost me then, but I begin to shake my head as I see that as it continues, he continues to hold on as a stormtrooper opens the window and this kid has the strength to pull a stormtrooper out, a full grown man, to his death and he's able to climb into the window. Just stupid. Another scene while they're on the space shot is this big gigantic explosion happens, kills all the enemies including stormtroopers and armor, but leaves the protagonist unharmed. What? But let me say this. Chuck Windig is a genius. First, he pats himself on the back that his book is on the New York Times bestseller list. Fool! Daffy Duck could write a Star Wars novel and it would be a bestseller. The Crystal Star was a New York Times bestseller. Then he pulls a sleight of hand by putting maybe five or six LGBTQ characters in the book so that if anyone criticizes his narrative, it means that they hate gays and only hate his masterful piece of storytelling because they're social dinosaurs fit for extinction. So the real issue of how badly he wrote this seminal work of The Journey to the Force Awakens gets drowned out by the clamor for diversity in Star Wars, which he says he brought front and center. Actually, I believe in modern canon, Lords of the Sith did it first. So one cannot dare criticize his work on social media, lest be called a bigot. For that stroke of genius, I applaud him. It's sad that he gets to write two more Star Wars books. It saddens me more to think that I have to read them to stay current in the Star Wars universe. For a great Star Wars book, choose Lost Stars, which is supposed to be a junior novel, but does a lot better at tackling mature and real-life situations than Aftermath. Domestic abuse, family dysfunction, tragic loss, despair, racial diversity, being that Thane is white and Sienna is black with coarse curly hair, um, disillusionment, passion and love, 
are all much better tackled and handled in that book. I actually wish that author was given Aftermath and Chuck Windig was given something like, say, a five-issue limited comic series featuring Jar Jar Binks. No, don't laugh. I honestly think he could do really well with something like this. And it would definitely be more interesting, surprising, and appreciated than what he did with Aftermath. Once again, thank you, Mark and Nathan, for being my favorite podcast hosts, and may the Force be with you. Man, a Jar Jar one, if, if Jar Jar's that one comic character that we saw at the end of that one comic where he's got the eye patch and all the scars, I'd be down. Just if that was the Jar Jar. I want Jar Jar to be tortured. Oh, fiercely. Ew. Well, we do get Chuck Wendig getting a limited comic series now. Yeah. It's... Just the adaptation of The Force Awakens. And I'm not sure how you write that, keeping the dialogue of the film in sentence fragments. So how does that work then? This puts him in three books and a comic. Does that now make him the top writer of our new canon? And why in the hell is he the voice of the Star Wars right now? Because if he's not the voice, he will turn around and call you a racist or a homophobe or what. No, I, I think that what's happened, I think... With him, they must have been planning Aftermath as a trilogy very early on, and we just didn't know it. It hadn't been announced yet because he's setting up these characters for further adventures, setting up storylines like we're going to get with Life Debt, with the the little interlude with Han and Chewie and Kashyyyk and all in Aftermath. And I'm wondering to what extent now they're sitting back there going, oh, God, we maybe we shouldn't have hired this guy, not because of the writing, although, yeah, the writing, but because of the hubbub, the social media hubbub. Of course, recently uh, I did a, a vlog on the YouTube channel specifically about his response to the Continue Legends movement. And I think it was a very well thought out well-put-together response. Uh, I think we were seeing Chuck Wendig as opposed to the Chuck, as we described it, sort of the social media presence versus the actual guy, the thoughtful guy. Um, but even even that's not really necessarily getting him off the hook for some of the stuff that circled Aftermath because you've got people out there saying, well, yeah, he says this sounding like the voice of reason because with all of his BS before and feeding into the, well, you're just a homophobe because it's a best-selling Star Wars book and, you know, anybody could write a best-selling Star Wars book because it's Star Wars and that's what's going to make it best-selling, not the writer's name as we or the quality of the book as we saw with some of Zahn's later works except for Scoundrels, um, that – you know, that he's sort of like trying to appear as the reasonable person now because before he wasn't. And by taking that tack that it sort of changes the persona and might make people maybe forget about it. Kind of like if all of a sudden Donald Trump started acting presidential, that you'd be like, oh, maybe he didn't say all those things and act all that way. And maybe he didn't seem like a complete lunatic before. Maybe he wasn't as unhinged. Maybe this is the real him. And maybe that'll be the case. Maybe Donald Trump will come out as opposed to the Donald next time around. But um, just there's a perception issue with it. Um, I, it is a good thing. I think, I think lost stars was fantastic. I do agree. And Hey, Claudia Gray is getting a shot at doing an adult novel because that's who wrote bloodline, uh, which a lot of people are saying bloodlines. It is bloodline. Bloodlines is the story from legacy of the force. Bloodline singular is, uh, the story, uh, from the new canon and all. And, uh, and yeah, so Chuck Wendig's also got a comic with the adaptation and he is one of the more prolific writers at this point, though I would say that probably the most prolific at this point is probably Jason Fry. Uh, or maybe if you break it up into individual comic storylines, some of the comic authors are. Wendig isn't quite to that point, but Jason Fry seems to be everywhere. I do have an answer, though, for Timon and why he was able to jump on the ship, mm-hmm. hang on to it, go into upper atmosphere, reach up with one hand while he's hanging on otherwise, toss out the stormtrooper somehow, 
and get inside and still be okay through all the stuff that happens to the ship. It's another of these cut scenes. Uh, it's a piece of dialogue from Timon. Uh, I do have that dialogue, though, captured here, so let me just uh, do a quick performance of it for you. Uh, it goes, I am Timon, urchin of Akiva and defender of the secrets of my stolen stash. This is Mr. Bones, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic hydro spanner and said, By the power of sentence fragments, I have the power! See, if that had been in there, it would have made total sense for why he could pull that off. <laughs> I thought he was going to be like, I'm rubber, I'm glue, I'm going to stick to this like I stick to you. <laughs> Something like that, I don't I, know. Uh, it's, it's because uh, the bottom line here, Timon is just that cool. He's the only character so far that's crossed over into a film. Which is funny, because right now, I, I just finished playing through multiple playthroughs to see all the different story twists that you could do in the game Quantum Break, which is a big time travel story. And an element of that is this idea that t time can't be changed. Like, events that happen at the beginning of the story that the character, the main character, wants to go back and change can't be changed because they are set in stone by the fact that causality is sort of coalesced and that's part of his past now like it looks like something might be able to be changed but it's not the whole thing is sort of almost like a, a time loop you know fate has always decreed this is how it will work out kind of thing and i'm reading the novelization of it that takes a very different approach to the way through the story uh kind of written as like an alternate take on the story with similar story beats called quantum break zero state and in that there is a character who basically says, I don't want to spoil too much of it, um, but this kind of will. So if, you do, if you're trying to play and not be spoiled for Quantum Break, then you might step away for a second. But uh, essentially, one of the characters goes back in time by accident and winds up giving the younger version of that same character a bunch of guidance to essentially prepare them for what's coming. The reason that character knows what's happening in their younger self that we see throughout most of the story is because of that older version that wound up in the past and having to essentially live from that time forward and trying to influence events. In the game, that's like a surprise near the end of the game. In the book, this is something that's said by that character pretty early on about, you know, I, I was essentially tipped off by my older self. And there are points in that book where the character's like, but see, here's the thing. I can do this. Let me do this dangerous part of the mission because I know that I survive it. Otherwise, I couldn't have gone back and given the information to myself at some point in the future. So don't worry about me. I know I survive. So in a sense, that's kind of the thing for Timon, right? Maybe Timon, like in Spaceballs, just popped in The Force Awakens, realized he's going to participate in The Force Awakens and said, screw it, I can do it because I know I won't die. <laughs> I know, long way to get there with the quantum break thing, but it's kind of that logic. But speaking of logic, though, the Stormtrooper honor, I mean, anymore, what is the point? The, the, the fear factor? That's clearly it, because they don't stop blasters, they don't do anything, they I just begin to, I mean, they don't filter out toxins, they only filter out what? Like, really? What is the point? Like, somebody needed to pay attention to what Karen Travis was doing with armor in her books, because they are underutilizing this stuff. So in any event, yes, we we definitely agree. Uh, Aftermath was pretty weak. Lost Stars was pretty strong. And we'll just have to see how Chuck Wendig handles the next two. Uh, when it came to Aftermath and the sentence fragments in the present tense, remember what his response basically was to people who complained about it when the preview came out. Ha ha, too late now, suckas. Basically, right? Well, it shouldn't have been too late as of the time of getting that feedback on Aftermath. 
to have had that be changed and the approach be perhaps changed with the sentence fragments and the present tense and all, perhaps for Life Debt and then the next of the Aftermath books. So maybe, just maybe, we'll see a a better, more appropriate, more friendly to those who care about grammar type of storytelling and writing in the upcoming Aftermath books two and three. We can hope, right? We can. I, he can do rational things, as we saw with that blog post about Continual Legends. Yeah. Well, what, what was always odd to me was when they first announced Aftermath, they had announced that it was going to be a trilogy of books. But they also announced at the same time that it was part of the journey to The Force Awakens. And I was like, wait, wait, how is the first book part of it, but not the uh, like, so there was always that weird. Why did they do that? So, like, I, I'm kind of more in the camp I, of I, I don't an think that they were doing this as a trilogy. I think they decided to do the other two books after the fact. I have an answer. Money. <laughs> Money. Marketing, because you look at it and some of the other books that sure make sense to be part of the journey of the Force Awakens, like Before the Awakening and Bloodline that, you know, actually lead into and have anything to do with the Force Awakens, don't get that label and were published after the fact. Mm -hmm. Whereas the ones before it. Yeah, it's it's like the only reason it was called Journey of the Force Awakens had nothing to do with building up the story to the Force Awakens. It was, hey, these are the things we're publishing before the movie hits theaters. Because you notice C-3PO in that Phantom Limb story, first promoted, first solicited, Journey to the Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. Same damn story, delayed repeatedly, shows up now, finally being released after the Force Awakens hits theaters. They yank the Journey to the Force Awakens label off of it. It had nothing to do with trying to build the story to the Force Awakens. It had everything to do with buy this before the movie hits. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Wow. I'm getting cynical now, too. I, I thought you had taken the cynical pill for these last couple episodes. <laughs> I've corrupted you. <laughs> it's spreading. Quick, everyone, pull your earbuds off. <laughs> Next thing you know, we're going to have people writing and saying, Hi, Star Wars Beyond the Films. I listened to your last episode on the way to work, and I got fired. <laughs> I told my boss exactly what I thought of him, kind of like I wanted to tell Windig about Aftermath. Can you help me find a new job? <laughs> Etc. It's all your fault. <laughs> now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on and get very deep down dark in the dirty side of our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. Help others find our show. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com Now lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you can get a free book 
That's right, a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors, they have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Legends universe or the Canon One or Harry Potter or any other universe out there or any other genre for that matter without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. Apparently, the hotels near the convention center are already filling up and they haven't even sold tickets for the convention yet. And you're muted, aren't you? Please I am muted, yes. Okay, Jesus. I was like, oh, oh. Wow, not again. <laughs> I don't know if that ding was heard, but I'll say it again. Jackpot. I really like an Ahsoka. <coughs> Sorry, I'm dying. <coughs> I'm fucking dying over here, Larry. Uh, Excuse me, are you a doctor? Are you a doctor? Do you know the name of it? Of what? The one we're getting? Oh, shit. I was wondering if you would. Ah, damn it. Are getting another one? Um. Trying to make sure that what I'm getting here is um um actual feedback. Hey, we're getting close. Awesome. Prophets of the dark side, I guess. So it's, I've said point of the empire. Prophets of the dark side. Oh, motherfucker. Of course, of course, of course. Name not found. Suck it. Okay. That's not me. I think I'm getting more concrete material. Trying. <laughs> I'm starting to have to pee again, so I'm focusing on the fact that I really got to piss. <laughs> I just spilled the bottle. <laughs> oh! Oh! Oh, <laughs> oh man. Leave That's it out the sun. not Gatorade! <laughs> Leave it out in the sun and make tea. And Mark, while you respond to this first, I got to piss! Um, what was the other one? Oh! I'm thinking there was one other one I was going to mention that was a perfect example of this. Oh, snap. Oh, yes. I got it. I got it. No, I got it. Yeah, we could come oh. back at it and maybe I'll be in a, a happier place. <laughs> I'm not I'm too good. terrible, but I'm just like, Frick, I feel like I'm hovering around. Frick. Ah, Frick legends. I, damn it. They're not going to give us any good stories. Money. They don't give a shit. They don't care. We're crap. Crap stories. It's funny. You just another person going like, oh, my God. Aftermath. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> Uh, nine seconds ago. Nine. Ten. Eight. eight seven. Oh, motherfucker! Oh, motherfucker! Please tell me your recording is still working fine. I wonder if Timon has a sister named Shira. Ooh. What are the odds of that? Well, I mean, Palpatine basically became rubbery faced Skeletor, so we already got that covered. True. True. Who's Man of Arms? <laughs> See, and I and I was good. I made a Skeletor reference, and I didn't say Nancy Pelosi. Dang it! <laughs> uh, right. That's what happens every time she shows up on the news. Now my wife goes Skeletor. <laughs> <laughs> nice.